you know it's going to be good when the preacher brings two Bibles up to the podium, don't you? <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you there? Psalm chapter 2, say amen. Verse 8, it says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Ask of me. This was a messianic promise that God the Father said to his son Jesus. It's prophetic in nature because Jesus, when this was written, it was through the psalmist, David, Jesus hadn't come to the earth yet. And now Jesus, in turn, has commissioned us that we are to continue this promise that Father God gave him. Because how many know that Jesus has hidden us? How many know that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that we'd be one with him, just as the Father and, and he were one? Hallelujah. So the Lord, I believe at this hour, is just saying, ask of me. Come on, church, just ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Amen. The ends of the earth for our possession. There is a divine shift in the mindset of those that have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour. There's a clarion call from heaven to the church, and I strongly sense the Lord is saying something on this line. Take possession. Take ownership and responsibility over what I have entrusted to you. Stay alert. Keep your eyes open. There's a massive harvest of souls coming into my kingdom. I'm gathering them into my barns. However, I need you to cooperate with me. Exercise the faith that I've given you. Operate in the authority in my name, which I have fully vested in you. The Lord's saying, I want you to operate in the faith that I've given you. How many know that the only way we can, we can get the things from heaven down to earth that we need so, so badly is through a vehicle called faith? Amen. And it's not our faith. It's his faith working through us. There's a big difference. But then he also says, you realize that I have fully vested inside of you the very right to operate in this realm down here on earth in my name. The authority of the name of Jesus Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? What does the word vested mean? It's a legal term that, that means that someone is given full, unconditional, guaranteed, as a legal right, the permission to act upon for somebody else. Vested in us is the very legal right to operate in the name of Jesus. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about me. But it's all about Jesus. Hallelujah. The Lord has given us this, his faith. He's given us the authority to use his name. Why? Because the Lord wants us to start thinking territory, church. He wants us to start seeing things as he sees them, not as we see them. How many of you know if we would concentrate on everything that's happening around us in this dimension, in this world, all the news reports that we see on TV, everything that we hear, everything that we see on our phones, that if we would just concentrate on that and take it for face value, how many of you know you'd be discouraged and depressed like right now? Because there's no hope in this world. But in Christ Jesus, there's always hope. 
Amen. Jesus says, I want you to start thinking territory. I want you to start seeing things through my eyes. In John chapter 4, verse 35, and we have this scripture out on the vision board, out in the foyer, Jesus said this, Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look for the fields. They are already white unto harvest. Jesus said that over 2,000 years ago to his disciples, how much more are the, are the fields ready and white? There's just low-hanging fruit everywhere we go. People are desperate. People are looking for hope in this hopeless, dark world. Amen. And see, when we begin to think territory, we shift from a defensive and maintenance mindset of yesterday. And how many know when you stay in that place, you, be, you become stinky? You get stagnant. There's nothing new. There's nothing fresh. It's just the same old, same old. There's no purpose. There's no drive. There's no impetus to, to keep moving on. We have to shift in our mindset. Amen. And, and instead, we need to move on to the offensive side of ministry. We need to be creative in our thinking. Because how many know that God's ways are much higher than our ways? His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. We need to start thinking outside the box. Well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, yeah, then you get the same results that you always have. How many want to see different results? Come on. So we need to get off the defensive side where, where the devil's chasing us down and we're concentrating on how sick we are or how bad things are. And we need to go forward. We need to press towards the mark. We need to start thinking territory and gaining it for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's harvest time, church. And as I say on that, the declaration that we've had the last two years, we will not be denied our portion of the harvest. I want you to say that with me. Say, I refuse to be denied my portion of the, of the harvest. Now, how many know the harvest is the hardest work? Planting the seed, that's nothing. Oh, you can have a nice garden just planting those seeds. It looks so great when you get done. It's just like, oh, this is beautiful. But then over time, what happens? Weeds start to pop up. It starts to get overgrown. You got to water it. You got to tend it. Amen. But then the harvest comes. Glory to God. And that's where the real work happens. Because you have to gather in the harvest at the right time. If you pick it before it's ripe, it's not going to be good. If you pick it after it's ripe, it's not going to be any good. You got to you got to get it at the very uh, the very right time to really enjoy the full harvest. And that takes work. That takes diligence. That takes attention. Amen? Say, I'm not lazy. I know you're not. The Lord is expecting us in this hour to make this paradigm shift in our thinking. He has more than adequately equipped us to possess the gates of the enemy and take back our jurisdiction. What is our jurisdiction? Well, if you live here in Rochester, it's the city of Rochester. If you live over by Winona, it's that area. It's the greater Rochester area. He's given this church, River of Glory, jurisdiction over, and he's expecting us to go forth in his name, using his name, operating in the faith he's given us, and we need to take back this territory for Jesus Christ. When I think about Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I'll just give you the nations for your inheritance. Well, 
We have the nations that come to Rochester, Minnesota. They come here for the Mayo Clinic. Come on, you guys. We are so positioned in a very strategic place for the kingdom of God. And I love that tag. Come for the medical, but stay for the miracle. Yeah, they're going to come here, all right, because they think Mayo Clinic is going to be the last place that they have to stop because they've tried everything. Just like the, the, the uh, woman in the Gospels that had the issue of blood, she had tried everything. She went to every physician she could think of. She went to every clinic that there was. She, went, she did everything. How many of you have done everything? You've done everything that you knew that you could do to take care of that problem that's nagging you. And you, sometimes it doesn't even seem like you're getting better, but you're getting worse. We just need to have an encounter with Jesus. Those people that are coming to Mayo Clinic, they just need to encounter Jesus. That's why I'm such a stickler for creating an atmosphere here. An atmosphere where the Lord is so welcome because none of us can heal one single person. There's not one of us that can deliver somebody who's oppressed of the enemy. There's not one of us that can do what we're called to do without the Spirit of the living God living in us in a big way. River of glory, a place where the voice of God is heard, His face is seen, and His touch is felt. It's time to, become a, to go on, on the offensive. We're continuing our series, Possessing Territory and Expanding the Kingdom, and today's message is entitled, Becoming One with the Word. We know that possessing territory and expanding the kingdom of God requires us to get into the game. It's just not going to ha happen automatically. Just coming to church on Sunday, and I'm glad that you come to church. I love seeing you. Don't get me wrong, I love Sunday's my favorite day of the week because we get to come together. But you must understand, when you make that mind shift from being on the defensive where the devil's calling the shots to being on the offensive where the Holy Ghost is calling the shots, there's warfare that happens. There's warfare that happens. Oh, I could give you story after story about that, but I don't want to glorify the devil. But it, it, there's, a, there's, a different, there's a different realm that you step into. And as I've been sharing the last couple of weeks, there are two foundational truths in spiritual warfare that always guarantee success. How many of you want to win in this thing? Come on. The first one is regaining and possessing ter territory. It begins, and it's only maintained when we stay on our knees in prayer. If you are not a person given to prayer, if you're not a believer that longs to pray, if you're not open to the moving of the Holy Spirit to wake you up all hours of the night and even in the wee hours of the morning to start praying and interceding, then you're not ready to step into this new realm. You must be a person that's given to prayer. In prayer, we claim our territory for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We claim our neighbors for the kingdom. We claim our friends for the kingdom. Not only those that are residents of this jurisdiction that we're in, but we're also supposed to be the gatekeepers then of this city. So every visitor that comes here for the Mayo Clinic, it's our responsibility that, that we pray for them and claim them for Jesus Christ too. 
That's why the healing ministry is so important here. We've had people come through our healing rooms ministry. Oftentimes, we never see them again. We only have one opportunity. And Pastor Dan will even attest to this. We still get calls from people that the Lord's touched. They still call us this very day just to see how we're doing. Don't ever underestimate the impact that you have when you walk in the glory and the light of Jesus Christ. People remember that. Amen. This is high-level spiritual warfare that we're talking about that happens in the heavenlies between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. What we do in prayer determines what happens in that battle in the second heavens. And as we get talking about in weeks ahead what it actually means to bind and to loose, we're going to understand how important it is that we are a, a people that are given to this place called prayer. We're pressing in all right. We're pressing into the kingdom of God. We're pressing into God. We're pressing into prayer. And make no mistake about it, we are destined to see heaven invade earth. We are destined to see the hand of God come down and do marvelous things that we have never seen, we've never heard, we've never experienced before. But I'm here to tell you by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are about to ready to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God like we've never seen before. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus said this, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Here Jesus declares and advances the kingdom of God as a result of two things. Say two things. What two things advances the kingdom of God? Number one, preaching, and number two, pressing in. Say it's preaching, and it's pressing in. Now what are we preaching? We're not preaching how sick we are. We're not preaching how bad things are. We're not preaching how someone did us wrong. No, that's all of the devil. We're preaching the word of God. We're preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. As we preach the word of God, Jesus said, and these signs shall follow those who, who believe. It, and he, he said, if you preach my word, I will come and I'll confirm that word. Amen. God's just looking for a people that will become one with the word and begin to preach that word. The second thing to advance the kingdom is then we need to press into the word. What good is it to hear the word of God, but not to respond to the word of God? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. But then we need to press into it. What does the word say? The word of God is so powerful. It contains the very life and promise that it states. And see, when we advance the kingdom and we possess more territory, it doesn't come without a confrontation. I'm telling you that right now. There's a clash of two kingdoms that, that takes place, and the kingdom of darkness does not want us to succeed. I told you this before when we started this series, but I prayed, Lord, send me to the darkest place of the world where your light can shine the brightest, but don't send me to Africa. And he sent us a month later to Rochester, Minnesota. We've been at this for 30 years or better. And it's like, really? And the thing that we keep seeing all the time is we get going. 
We're preaching the word. We're worshiping the Lord. We got good people here. Everything's going good. And then all of a sudden, something happens where this person gets offended or that person gets offended. And heaven forbid they'd ever come and talk to you so we could work it out. They just end up leaving. And so we constantly are starting over and over and over. And how many you know that that can get so, so um, demoralizing? You can get so um, discouraged, right, when, when you see that. But we're not going to be on the defensive anymore. We're going to go on the offensive. We're going to gain territory. We're going to claim this city for Jesus. We're not going to take no for an answer because we know who we are in Jesus Christ. And there are so many believers that need to hear this, but there are many unbelievers that need to come to know Jesus. And the only way it's going to happen is if we go after it with everything that's within us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Hmm. <laughs> no, I won't go there. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. By ourselves, we can do nothing. But with Jesus in us, all things are possible to those who believe. So the two foundational truths to, that guarantee success in spiritual war, warfare, first of all, number one is prayer. Number two, we have to realize that the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, has given us a pattern for warring against principalities and powers. He has. And given a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master, we look to Jesus, and what did he do when he started his earthly ministry that gave him such great success? We remember that the first act that Jesus performed after he was baptized was he had a power encounter with Satan himself up on the mountain. Water baptism. Again, this is review. But, I, you know, we get gaps in this, and I want to make sure we're all up to speed, okay? Water baptism, what is that about? One word. Identification. When we're water baptized, what are we identifying with? We're identifying with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. When we go into those waters of baptism, all of our old man, all of our sins, all of our iniquities, all of our transgressions, every generational curse, everything that was against us is left in that water. And then when we come up out of the water, we come up in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're new creatures in Christ then, you see. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, for Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter, the, the one that started this whole thing, what did he have to do when he was water baptized? When he went into the River Jordan, by John the Baptist was baptizing him. When he went down, before he went down, he was God. He was, he was the Son of God. When he went into those waters, he left all of his godly deity in that water, and he came up 100% man. And see, if we don't understand that Jesus did everything that he did when, in his earthly ministry as the Son of Man instead of the Son of God, then we constantly look at this word and we go, yeah, but that's because it was Jesus. Jesus could do all those things because he was deity. And yes, he was deity. But we must understand he put deity aside 
and did all the work that he did in ministry as a man. So the first thing he did was he had to take care of the enemy. In order for his ministry to be successful, in order for him to be on the offensive and to bring the kingdom of God to, the, to us and to see the kingdom of God expand, he had to get rid of the, the, the person that was standing in the way. And that was the devil. Amen. After 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness, the devil came to Jesus with his battle plan. And it's the same battle plan that each one of us have to face. When you start getting serious about your walk with Jesus, and maybe some of you are, and that's wonderful, but when we get to that place where we're going to start taking territory, you need to understand the devil is just not going to sit back and say, oh, okay, go ahead and take it. There's going to be things that are going to happen. Satan's battle plan, the three areas where there's warfare, is number one, the physical, number two, the spiritual, and number three, the political. The physical, it speaks of provision. And the question that the devil will always come to you and me with is the question that he, because he always tries to erode our faith by trying to bring a seed of doubt in. Jesus fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. How many know he was probably pretty hungry when the devil came and confronted him? Is God able to provide for you? Go ahead, just speak to those stones. They'll become bread. Go ahead and eat. The spiritual speaks of protection. And the question that the devil came to Jesus with is, is God able to protect you? Go ahead, just jump off this cliff. He'll give you his, his angels to help you and lift you up. The third area was political, which speaks of promotion and position. And the question that the devil posed to Jesus, the same question he poses to us, is, okay, Jesus, you have a destiny. You have something that you're going to fulfill for God. Is God able to promote you? Is God able to position you so you can fulfill that destiny? Think about it. Everything that we go through in this life revolves around those three things. Every bit of stress that we have in our life revolves around is God able to provide? Is God able to protect? And is God able to position us and promote us so we can live a victorious life and finish this race? Hallelujah. It's interesting to note that once Jesus spoiled Satan's plan in the wilderness, that's when his ministry really took off. The disciples began to follow him. People were saved. They were healed. They were delivered. Amen. Jesus, he used spiritual warfare tactics in the wilderness to not only prepare the atmosphere for the entrance of his kingdom to come into the hearts and lives of those that would receive his kingdom message, but he also did it to give us a model, you and I a model, that if we follow it, what he did, we too can take back our jurisdiction and bring forth the kingdom of God as we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are five keys to the battle strategy that Jesus used, and we talked about two of them last time I was here. All, all of this is found in Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4. The first two, well, let me just give you all five. 
The first thing is humility. The second is fasting. The third key to battle strategy is becoming one with the Word. The fourth is perseverance. And the fifth is the command of authority. Now these battle strategy keys that I, that I just shared with you, Jesus uses a model for us that we would implement the same things because, again, he is the author. He's the one that is the finisher of our faith. We need to follow him. We're his disciples. The disciples follow, follow his teacher or her teacher. But it's important with those five keys that we implement them in the exact order that Jesus implemented them. For instance, if you're not a person that walks in humility, you will not be a person that fasts. If you're not a person that walks, doesn't walk in humility and doesn't fast, you're never going to become one with the Word. Because the Word will be, will be what you want it to be. Because there's too much of self in the way, you see. And the revelation truth of the Word of God can't come to you when you're too full of yourself. Once we do that, then we're able to persevere. And once we have come to the place of humility, where we empty ourselves, and our identification is 100% in Jesus, where we come to the place where we know we've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer us that lives, but it's Christ that lives in us. Amen? Once we live a fasted lifestyle, where we continually, continually, Crucify our flesh. Because how many of you know flesh can have a heyday whenever it wants to? It can. If you're not on guard, you, you, you can just go back to your old ugly carnal self. <laughs> and it doesn't take much in this day. That's why we must live that fasted lifestyle where we're tied in with him. Because that gives entrance to the word. Fasting is a vital element to tearing down strongholds over city. If we don't get to the place where we're fasting on a regular basis, church, we'll never take this territory for Jesus. We need to hear his battle plan. When it comes to something like this, we dare not go out and start binding and loosing things that aren't there. You know what I'm saying? The devil's just going to laugh at us. We'll end up with just a sore throat. Nothing will happen. We have to get in the flow of the Lord. I gave you this quote from Revivals of Religion. Uh, Charles Finney wrote that book, and he quoted Jonathan Edwards, a gentleman that was used mightily of God to bring revival to this country. But he said this in, the, in his book, quote, If we are not to expect that the devil should go out of a particular person under bodily possession without extraordinary prayer and fasting, how much less should we expect to have him cast out of, the, out of the land and the world without it? I mentioned to you last time we were here, there are five main giants of self that hinder us from becoming rightly positioned in Christ. And when we're not rightly positioned in Christ, we just limit what God can do through us. And those five... I'm not going to give them to you right now for sake of time, but they're found in 1 Samuel chapter 6, 
verses 17 through 18. There were the five cities that King David had to conquer on his way to victory. Okay, so we're going to talk about the third battle strategy today, becoming one with the word, or in other words, allowing uh, the word to be engraved upon the tablet of our hearts. How many want the word engraved on your heart? Jesus used the highest authority of the universe when he confronted the devil. He used the word of God, didn't he? And when the devil came and tempted him in those three areas, what did he say? He said, it is written, it is written, it is said. It is written, it is written, it is said. The divine word that became flesh and dwelt among us could do that. Now remember, he did this as the son of man, not the son of God. But because he had the word engraved upon his heart, he was able to confront the devil and say, it is written, it is written, it is said. He stopped the devil. Amen. And before we go into spiritual warfare, we must become one with the word of God. Oh, does that mean I have to memorize the whole Bible from cover to cover? No. I know people that have memorized the Bible from cover to cover. Well, maybe they haven't memorized 100% of it, but they know the word a lot. But you never know that they knew the word by the way they acted. So it's not so much storing the letter of the word in our hearts, but it's getting the spirit of the word in our hearts. Where we know these scriptures and what they mean, they become the very fabric of our being. Amen. Because without it, we we will have nothing to stand on. Rest assured, the devil does not want to lose influence over the physical, spiritual, and political arenas of this jurisdiction. How many know the devil has had a heyday over Rochester, Minnesota? How many know his days are done? Come on. And you know what his biggest fear is? The devil's biggest fear is that you and I will wake up will come alive to a full revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we step out from just being on the defensive side, just letting life just happen, to the place where we go on the offensive and we start gaining ground for Jesus Christ. Therefore, what the devil does to prevent us from moving on is he attempts to steal, kill, and destroy the seed of God's word from even being planted in our hearts. However, should a seed of truth get through, and he's not successful in that, then what he does is he brings five weapons to us to try to minimize the effect of the word of God in our hearts. Do you want to know what those five weapons are? Come back next week. No, I <laughs> That's one way to get you to come to church. Huh? We'll just be done now. We got time. Turn to Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Now you you go, okay, I know what he's going to say. Could somebody get me a bottle of water, a glass or something? So Jesus here, he's speaking about the parable of the sower. And he says this, starting in verse 1. And again, he began to teach, thank you, by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in this teaching, he said, listen. He said, listen. 
Behold, a sower, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and, became, and because of it had no root, and it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But, verse 8, the other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. But then he goes on to say in verse 10, But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So then he explains it. He goes on to say, The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And, when, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. In other words, are offended. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter, entering to choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. This parable is the granddaddy of all parables. I've shared that with you before. Jesus said, this parable, if you don't understand, how are you going to understand everything else that I teach you? He tells them that unto us has been given to know the mysteries, in other words, the hidden truths of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught in parables because you understand that Jesus isn't speaking to heads or our intellect. He's speaking to our hearts. And so through a parable then, when these parables come out, and have you ever noticed that when you, you read, especially the Gospels and Jesus' parables, Especially if you're new to the Lord. I remember when I first came to the, know the Lord, I'd read something, I'd go, oh, what in the world does that mean? Right? But it gives you that opportunity then to meditate upon it. To meditate upon the Word and let the Word begin to get inside of you. Amen? We know that, that uh, the sower is the Lord. The seed is the Word of God. He talks about four types of soil. They represent four types of heart. The wayside heart is the hard heart. The stony heart is the offended heart. The thorny ground is the distracted heart. But the good ground now, that's the honest and good heart. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, the same parable, Luke says it this way, but the one that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word those having heard the word with what kind of heart? 
a noble heart. What does it mean, noble? It actually means honest. In some translations, maybe the one that you're looking at right now, say honest. In honest and a good heart, they keep it and bear fruit with patience. And next week when we talk about persevering, we'll talk more about that. But you see in this parable, the enemy uses five weapons to try to minimize the effect of the word from getting planted in our hearts. What are those five things? Versus tribulation. He tries to bring tribulation into our lives. We focus on that tribulation instead of the word of God. If that doesn't work, he brings persecution. Well, who do you think you are? All of a sudden people, that, and it's usually the people that are closest to you, to, to inflict the most harm. If that doesn't work, then he brings the cares of this world. Where all of a sudden you start thinking about everything that you need to do. How are you going to make your house payment? How are you going to do this? The kids are doing that. That's not right. I don't like these friends that they're hanging around with. Oh, how, what, how are we going to take care of that? You start thinking about your to-do list and all your projects that you got to do. When God's calling you to, to enter into that place, your prayer closet, all of a sudden you start thinking about everything that you got to do. Come on. And the purpose is, is to minimize the Word of God in your life. Because if he can minimize the word of God, then guess what? Then the revelation of God is limited too. How many want to hear the voice of God? How many want to know exactly what he's telling you to do in life so you succeed? The only way it comes is if you're, you saturate yourself in the word of God. You need to know because if you don't know, you're going to be listening to other voices, and those other voices are not going to be the Lord, but you're not going to have any way to discern it if you do not build your heart upon the Word of God. And then finally, well, the two other things were deceitfulness of riches and the desire or the lust of other things. How we get so distracted, how we want things. We want a nicer car, we want a nicer home, we want this, we want that. And all of a sudden we're thinking about all of that instead of the Lord. Amen. So how do we get free from the weapons of the enemy and truly become one with the Word of God? This is so simple. We walk in a, number one, honest and a good heart. An honest heart. An honest heart comes to the place of complete humility where you can look yourself in the mirror and you can honestly say, I'm walking in the will of my Lord. We can know that. But if you're not honest, if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change you in areas that need to be changed, if you're making excuses for bad behavior, come on, somebody. Let's just be honest. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm not saying that you should do this, but don't be the worst sinner that's out there, okay? But you could be a murderer. You could be an adulterer. You could be a liar, right? And come to know Jesus and repent and your heart's made clean. And you could go into the prayer closet and you can get those things that you asked for because you have an honest and a good heart. I think sometimes Christians that have been around for a long time, their hearts aren't always honest because we see things through filters. We have experience in church. And we start to view things through the experience 
instead of allowing the Word of God to change us so we can see through the eyes of the Lord. Who can ascend to the holy hill? But those who have a clean hand and a clean heart that do not lift up their eyes onto idols. Amen. There are two things to have an honest and good heart, to be one with the word. There's two things that we need to yield to in order to become one with the word. The first one is this. We need to yield to the operative power of the word of God. We need to yield to the, the, the operation of the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to do what it needs to do. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, well, let's just turn there. I got it. I got it. I don't have all of it here. Starting in verse 9, it says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And everybody says, Amen, I want that rest, right? It tells us, For he who has entered his rest, the Lord's rest, has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. You want the rest of God? Quit trying to make your own life by yourself. Give the workmanship to the Lord. Let him work things out in your life. Amen. Verse 11, he goes right into the, the word. Let us therefore be diligent. In other words, let's be eager. Let's put some thought and effort behind this to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful. Say, the word of God, it's living and it's powerful. That means it's active. And it's effective. The Word of God is active. It's effective. It's a living Word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We must yield to allow this Word of God to do the operation that it needs to do in our lives. You know, before I, I even open the, this book, this holy book in the morning, I always pray first. I thank the Lord for everything. I just, I have a time of praise. And then I say, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind and over my heart as I open up your holy Word. Let me see it through your eyes, not my eyes. Then you allow the word, which is powerful, to come in and start cutting away this or cutting away that or restoring this or restoring that that you need. Amen. Have you ever heard of circumcision of heart? That's what the word of God does. The word is a knife. It's a sword, and it cuts away all the junk from your heart. The stuff that the Lord hasn't planted in you those inner vows that you've made because you've been hurt or frustrated. We've all been there. But if you want to become one with the Word, let the Word do its work in you. The second thing 
And I could, we could spend the whole rest of the hour on that. But the second thing is we need to yield to the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that's what the apostle says. I pray that the Lord would grant unto you that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's a difference between wisdom and revelation, you know. We, we understand that we're a full gospel church here, right? We're a full gospel church that believes in the whole Bible. From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, we believe that this word applies to us today. Amen? We don't cut out sections we don't believe in. We believe the whole thing. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us, all Scripture is given by inspiration, and that word inspiration means it's God-breathed, it's inspiration of God, and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. The absolute authority of the Bible in our lives makes us to be like Jesus in every way. For the word is powerful. It is. We're a full gospel church that not only believes in the whole Bible, but we also believe that, the, that all the whole Bible, all the promises contained there, all the instructions pertaining to life and godliness, they're available to us today. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When Jesus went up to heaven, he deposited upon us gifts. How many like to get gifts? Get a gift. Well, he's given it to all of us. We believe in the seven motivational gifts found in, in Romans chapter 12, right? They're given by God the Father. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one, what? A measure of faith. We all have a measure of faith. We're all unique in the body of Christ. But your measure of faith is important to me so I can fulfill my destiny in Jesus. My measure of faith, I'm trusting, is valuable to you so you can fulfill what God's called you to do. Amen. We believe also in the fivefold office gifts. You know, and he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We also believe in the third category of gifts, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapters 12 and chapter 14. These gifts reveal the heart of God, they demonstrate the heart of God, and they speak the heart of God. All these gifts are available to us. Amen. And we love and we greatly appreciate when the Lord brings revelation through these spiritual gifts to us. They give us direction. Amen. However, every revelation from the Spirit of the living God must be interpreted in the larger context of wisdom, which is the general understanding of God's ways and purposes and principles that are learned over time. Revelation. 
Most of the church just, well, we just stay on the word. We don't believe in the gifts for today. <laughs> you know, the word can speak to you. And yes, the word does speak to us, and praise God for that. But how many are glad that God gives us the ability to, to understand things specifically in our lives through the spirit of living God? What's revelation? It's more than simply gaining intellectual knowledge that we didn't have before. It's an understanding that originates in our hearts where the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Simply stated, revelation is when God lifts the veil from us that was created in our hearts, maybe because of sin, maybe because of some sort of trauma that came in our lives. And when we humble ourselves like Jesus did, when we live a fasted life like he did, all of a sudden then, that veil begins to be ripped and we begin to see things through God's eyes. We need the revelation, yes, but we need the broader aspect, foundation of wisdom, which is found in the Word of God. Revelation, without wisdom, you become flaky. Well, God told me this, God told me that. No, God didn't tell you that because God's not a liar. God would never say that. It would contradict his word. Amen. But you don't understand. I had, I had this experience with God. Well, so did the inner court of Jesus, Peter, John, and James. And all of his disciples, in fact, when Jesus was baptized, what happened? God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What happened when Jesus took his inner, that inner court up to the Mount of Transfiguration? In the spirit, they had an experience, right? And it's great when God gives us visions. It's, it's great when God gives us dreams. It's great when he gives us prophetic words. And, and of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're, we're to desire prophecy. Amen? So there's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes when we, we rely on the revelation more than we rely on wisdom. And we need a combination of both. Amen. What's the difference between wisdom and revelation? Wisdom is, is formulated based on truth learned in the past, where revelation produces a present truth and makes our wisdom relevant. Revelation brings current strategy for current situations, where wisdom enables the implementation of that strategy and skill. Wisdom generates consistency. <laughs> Sometimes we in, in the body of Christ, they look at us and they think they're nothing but flakes. And sometimes we have been flakes. Because sometimes we've gotten goofy. Because we've wanted to see things happen. And so sometimes we create things and we say, God, God did this, but God really wasn't in that. You know what I mean? Other times God is in it. But the only way you're going to know is if you are walking in the word and allow the word to become one inside of you. If we operate in wisdom without current revelation, However, we'll become an old wineskin. And we won't be ready for what God wants to do in the now. Well, we can't do that because God's never done it that way before. Well, maybe because you haven't been open to allow God to do that. Amen? Some of you are getting freaked out right now, aren't you? Because we want everything nice and neat. But 
When the Spirit of God starts moving, it may not be nice and neat. People might start screaming. I'm waiting for that day. You know, it's coming. It's coming. Where the presence of God gets so thick in this house, the Shekinah glory gets so thick in this house, as I'm saying it, I'm just getting goose pimples all over, where people are just going to just start weeping because they're having an encounter with a holy God. There'll be maybe some people that will start laughing because they'll be delivered from a bondage that has held, held them in captivity. And finally, they feel free. There'll maybe be some people that will just get out of their chair and just lay down on the floor because he's so holy, and they're not even worthy to be even sitting in a chair. They must be down before the Lord in his presence. We have to allow revelation to come so we can get in the current with God. But we cannot neglect the Word of God and replace it with the Word of God. Or, or you know, forget, forgetting the Word of God. No. We will never have revelation without the Word. You understand that? Am I just beating a dead horse? I feel like I'm just repeating things over and over. Do you get it? Jesus was one with the Word. He became one with the Word. And that's why his ministry was so powerful. You and I, when we become one with the Word, every time we pray for somebody, they'll be healed. Every time. I believe that. The Scripture says that he, he healed them all. Now, some of them weren't ready. But don't you understand something here? When we get in to be one with the Word, we're going to know when someone's not ready because we're going to have that discerning of spirits. We're going to know that that brother or sister is not ready because maybe they're harboring unforgiveness. Maybe we can pull them aside so they don't get embarrassed. We can share with them, this is what the Lord's showing me. When we become one with the Word, then we're able to regain territory and see this city of Rochester turned around for Jesus. That's my heart. When we first moved to Rochester, I hated this city. I said, Lord, I guess you really do honor prayer, don't you? But the longer I'm here, the more I'm getting a heart for it. The nations come here. And we're the ones that are going to be able to share Jesus with them, and they're going to be able to take it back to their cities and their nations. I truly believe God's got such a tremendous um, destiny for us, greater than any of us could ever realize. So next week we're going to talk about what it means to persevere. Persevere. We're going to talk about what it means to get a backbone and to keep standing on the Word of God to see it manifested. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We give you all the glory for everything that you're doing, Lord. It's truly amazing. We stand in awe of your presence, O oh God. What a privilege and an honor it is to be alive in this hour at this time. Father, I thank you for each one of these precious sheep. I cover them in the blood of Jesus, and I thank you, God, for blessing everything that their hands touched this week. Lord, continue to speak to all of our hearts. 
that we'd follow after you, Jesus, and the pattern that you've given us to regain territory and to see your kingdom expand. Truly, we pray as you taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth, just as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed week, everybody.